0: Hello, this is Adam S Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. A quick plug before we start, my folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwells and Waterstones. And now back to your regularly scheduled RetroTube. I'm Adam, this is Heather, and welcome to RetroTube Archive Television Podcast, the only Archive Television Podcast worth listening to. Apart from some of the others, there really are some good ones out there, you should check them out. This week we're looking at our first returning show, and of course it's Doctor Who. Before we make our way to the Patrick Troughton era, how could I pass up the opportunity to introduce Heather to this unique collision of two of her very favourite things? Westerns and Thunderbirds. Yes, it's the Gunfighters.
1: So fill up your glasses and join in the song. The is right behind you and it won't take long. So come, you coyotes, and howl at the moon till there's blood upon the sawdust. In the, last chance
0: of... the Gunfighters is a four-part serial starring William Hartnell, Peter Purvis and the much-missed Jackie Lane. It was the seventh story of the third season of Doctor Who, broadcast in April and May 1966, and it's not at all annoying, no sir. But Heather, as a relative newbie in the world of Doctor Who, what did you make of this particular adventure?
1: Well, like you say, Adam S. Leslie, there are two things that I love in this world, possibly above and beyond anything else. <laughs> One of them, as I think I may have mentioned at some juncture during the recording of this show, is Thunderbirds.
0: You, may, you have dropped it into conversation from Just time to time.
1: Once or twice. I, I try to keep it low-key. I mean, I wouldn't like to say I border on the geeky, but <laughs> I sort of vote straight over it into my adoration of the B-Western.
0: Oh, B-Western specifically, so you don't like the classy Westerns?
1: God, no. Who wants a classy Western?
0: You're not a fan of The Searchers or any of those? Well,
1: you see, I I, I mean there is just there's something particularly pleasant about the B-Western. Because, I mean, it's all very nice having the Howard Hawks treatment to to a film. and
0: Epic and serious. Yeah,
1: and, and all of that kind of thing. Um, you know, I appreciate that, but when you are watching a Western that you know someone has flown out to the wilds of Ohio and found one sand dune <laughs> when the when the sets are so shaky nobody can actually sit down, when the plots have gaping <laughs> chasms rather than holes. I mean, there's just something so marvellous about it. And you know my feelings towards Audie Murphy, who is my favourite actor of all time.
0: I certainly do. He
1: made quite a lot of B-Westerns. I know know giant chunks of script to most of those. Huge fan of Thunderbirds, particularly Shane Rimmer and David Graham, who play my favourite characters, Scott Tracy and Gordon Tracy. Excellent. We know how I feel about Gordon Tracy. That has certainly been documented. (laughs) He's my guy. He's my guy, and I love him. So you, you would think, you would think, Adam S. Leslie, that this would be so right up my straws. I would be delighted. Well, <laughs> well, have, have, have I got a bone to pick with you? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's all very, very well and good. You're saying to me, hey. Why don't we watch The Gunfighters? It's got Shane Rimmer in it. I mean, I was really impressed that you didn't mention David Graham because it was like a nice little surprise.
0: It's mainly because I forgot. (laughs)
1: Let's just say it was a nice little surprise. Yes, let's say that. Speaking of surprises, um, a thing Hmm. that that you neglected to mention uh, is that both of them got killed. (laughs) Yes, they did.
0: I mean, I haven't watched this in a long, long time. So, I don't remember such details as when the best people in it get killed off hmm.
1: Hmm. also it was <laughs> i mean for those of you who have never seen the gunfighters and 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 trust me, I've watched it for you it's <laughs> meant to be some sort of a loosely based on the Gunfighter, the okay corral and and, and let, <laughs> let let me tell you loose is the word
0: <laughs> for it the, it certainly is
1: there are there are some inaccuracies i mean possibly. Possibly the most startling is the fact that Shane Rimmer's character, Seth Harper, doesn't actually exist. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there were, yeah, there were a lot of people in that gang. a lot of people in the Kachisi.
0: The Cowboys. County
1: Cowboys, let me tell you. But Seth Harper wasn't one of them. Uh, <laughs> you don't know who he was.
0: No, I mean, you say... There were some inaccuracies. It probably might be truer to say there were some accuracies. There
1: were certainly some accuracies. Doc Holliday certainly had a girlfriend called Kate. So, you know, congratulations there.
0: The writer actually did a bit of research. <laughs> probably just watched a bunch of old Westerns by the looks of things.
1: I, I think so. Um, I don't even think that one of the Westerns they saw was "Gunfight Fight at the OK Corral because...
0: <laughs> this is a, a comedy musical Western which has half a song in it.
1: Oh, don't even talk to me about that. God damn. <laughs> and,
0: this, and this fragment of song, it, do, it doesn't hold them back, the fact that they've only got a part of a song. We've, because, we've, not, we've not got an actual boy.
1: song. We are going to sing two lines of a song that doesn't exist at every possible yep. opportunity. <laughs> We're not going to break scenes anymore. We're just going to have a little song. Yeah. is pretty much what happened.
0: I mean, it's certainly unique. Hmm. There isn't another Doctor Who adventure like this one at all, I think. It's worth having the gunfighters just for it being so different from anything else at all. But the question is, despite all of its flaws, did you actually enjoy it? (laughs) That's a long pause.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I have seen worse things.
0: Right. Okay.
1: <laughs> I'd, I'd like I'd like to point that out right yeah. here, right now. I mean, I'm I'm currently in the middle of, of a hyper fixation about um, an unfairly forgotten Disney actor named Tommy Kirk. Oh yeah. And uh, I have seen a lot of of his back catalog, and I, I would definitely say that the Gunfighters is better than than some of that. Hmm. I like the fact that a western was attempted. I, I you know, fair play to to English people. British people, whatever, people who aren't actually from America, attempting westerns. Fair play to them.
0: Yes, maybe not fair play on the accents, but we'll probably come to that.
1: We will, we will most certainly come to that. Um, I, I mean, good on them. Um, I didn't hate, I didn't hate it, but I was just baffled. I think through most of it. I think that that was my overriding my overriding emotion
0: it's a little bit baffling isn't it i yes. personally enjoy it or well, i enjoy the first probably two and a half episodes mm. maybe the first three episodes i think i've seen it once maybe twice before this i'm not a huge i like doctor who but i'm not a huge one for watching and re-watching a lot of the stories there's a small handful i've seen lots and lots of times but most of them i've got a good enough memory that seeing them two or three times will suffice or well, you know once every five or ten years i'll watch these and then that'll do me for a decade or so
1: yeah and to be fair there are so many doctor who stories that's it yes that you don't need to watch the same one over and over, mm. and over again because you've got other things to go at um well yeah no I, I i don't really want to say anything bad against it because <laughs> doctor who's your favorite show
0: no you you can say how you you can say what you feel
1: I I do I do appreciate the Western element and I really appreciated the Thunderbirds element very, very yes. much. I I have an awful lot of feelings about Shane Rimmer dressed as a cowboy. Uh <laughs> that we probably He's quite handsome, into. isn't
0: he? When he's in his he's dressed very nicely. quite,
1: quite, quite, quite yes, mm, mm, Quite is what I thought. Mm, yes, mm, yes. Anyway, uh, <laughs>
0: Yes, the, the show. Um... A bit of background on this. In the 80s and 90s, when I was growing up as a tiny junior Doctor Who fan, it was very difficult to see most of the stories. There was a tiny handful that had been commercially released on video, but most of them you really had to rely on the books to experience them, the target novelisations, or just conventional wisdom. Okay. And Doctor Who magazine as well. So you'd get Doctor Who magazine every month, and the books, and also just having friends who would tell you generally what the conventional wisdom of Doctor Who was my particular friend was uh, my school friend Philip Ware who I think um, a few people listen to this might be familiar with he he was quite big in Doctor Who fandom. Get well soon Philip he's not having a great time at the moment but hopefully
1: oh crikey sorry about that
0: one day he'll be uh, up and about again but um, yeah he was he's a couple of years older than me and he was one of those chaps who's much more into the whole Doctor the world of Doctor Who and he was someone who could get hold of Doctor Who stories on videos. He knew people, Ooh. I think. He he had quite a good collection of Doctor Who stories on video before they were released, you know, before the general public had an opportunity to, to see them. So I'd go round his house. We lived in the same village by coincidence. So I'd go round his house on a Saturday. I'd knock on the door and say, are you doing anything? With my little Lincolnshire accent. Aww. Philip, are you doing anything? Aww. Can I come and watch Doctor Who round your house? Aww. And he'd go, oh, well, all right then. And then... So I go in and he's lived in this very impressive house. Not impressive in that it was a mansion. It was a little council house. But he had, you know, he had all this equipment. He had his video. I didn't have a video player at the time, but he had his big collection of Doctor Who videos. And upstairs in his room, he had synthesizers and he'd program them to make, to to mimic the sounds of the Doctor Who incidental music. Wow. So he could play like the March of the Cybermen from Earthshock. He He could do that authentically. He could play it with the actual or you know, as near to the actual sounds used in the T V show as possible. So it was like uh, quite mind blowing really.
1: Oh he was dedicated. <laughs> we went to um in
0: 1987 we went to panopticon 8 together which was so exciting i got ill (laughs) it was probably the most exciting thing i'd ever done oh my goodness so i spent most of the saturday feeling really sick (laughs) too much excitement. And I'd thought for years and years that there were there was no existing uh, moving footage of me as a child. And then a little while back a uh, film of one of the panels from Panopticon Convention turned up on YouTube. And in the crowd you can see me and Philip. Oh. And it's like there I am and I'm 12 and he's 14, but I look about 8 and he looks about 20. It's like I'm his son or something. <laughs>
1: I mean, to be fair, you are very youthful, you know, even now.
0: (laughs) I am quite, aren't I? You you don't
1: don't look 90.
0: I still get called a young man. She's quite nice. It
1: is quite nice.
0: Do you say I don't look 90? No,
1: you don't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, so you can see um, Nicola Bryant walking down the stairs to take her place on the panel. And my face as she walks past me. You've never seen someone look so overtly starstruck. Oh. I'm just wearing this expression that it kind of looks like horror. I'm utterly aghast that a famous person is walking past me. It's like How dare Barry they of Doctor Who? <laughs> I look like I'm gonna pass out or something like that. Oh,
1: that's just the cutest thing ever.
0: <laughs> yeah, me with my little orange bowl cat. Oh, My poor heart <laughs> So anyway, I got a lot of I think my Doctor Who conventional wisdom through Philip, he knew about these things. And uh, one thing we knew about the gunfight is is it's the worst Doctor Who story ever made. This was a known fact in the 80s and early 90s. None of us had seen it, or very few of us had seen it. But one thing we knew, it's the worst Doctor Who ever. And the story immediately preceding it, The Celestial Toymaker, one thing we knew about that is that it was an absolute classic and possibly one of the best Doctor Who stories ever. Wow. And in the intervening years, now that people have had a chance to actually experience them and had a chance to watch the gunfighters, they've sort of switched place a bit. That actually, the Celestial Toymaker is now thought as being... Potentially one of the worst Doctor Who stories ever because it's very, very boring and potentially a bit racist. Oh, dear. And while The Gunfighters isn't thought of as a classic, I think generally it's accepted as being not as bad as all that, really. And it's quite entertaining.
1: It is quite entertaining. And there are some very quotable lines, you know. I mean, I'm a little uh, aloof and grumpy, but, you know, I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I didn't loathe it. Even though you prepared me. I don't think I was ready. <laughs> I think that's kind of my problem with it. Yeah. You just can't prepare yourself for the gunfighters.
0: No. I mean, it. it it's really two things. It's the central trio who are having a great time. Peter Purvis, Jackie Lane... William Hartnell, the three of them are clearly having a great time. And I think they're, all three of them are incredibly fun to watch. And it's fun watching them having a great time. Yes. And just really revelling in the setting, revelling in the script, revelling in the antics. They, they leap off the screen. They're all charismatic. They're joyous. And then on the other side of the fence, you have the supporting cast who really seem to be struggling. <laughs> a lot of them. I,
1: I mean, they do. They do struggle particularly accent wise either they don't bother at all or they give it a go and miss so terribly (laughs) it's like please please stop, please just no, 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 done enough and one of them attempted the accent and it came out Australian, do do you know where Tombstone is meant to be?
0: I think it's actually mainly the Clanton brothers. Yes. I think they, the three of them, are uniformly bad. They really are. Now why for did you do a tall thing like that? Save your bullet for Holiday, boy.
1: I ain't scared of Holiday.
0: Get the luck. Brother Billy ain't scared. Nobody said you was scared, boy. Our brother Reuben, now he wasn't scared, any, But that didn't stop Holiday filling him full of holes. Where'd we all meet up with Seth? The Last Chance Saloon. What for do we need Seth Harper? Paul's paying him, and Paul wants us to work along with him. Come on. But actually, most of the rest of them are all right. I think Doc Holiday's pretty good. Now, 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 now,
1: now, stranger. Just you sit right down in that chair. Right along
0: here, honey. Well, as a matter yeah. of fact, my yourself. Yeah, and as a much... matter of fact, he don't do the delay dental treatments.
1: <sighs> down you go. That's the philosophy of 2 He does quite well, and um... Shane Rimmer does a very convincing American accent. A, Shane Rimmer's Canadian.
0: Canadian, so he's got a bit of a head start on the rest of them, as he's uh, actually from North America. <laughs> he's got a slight unfair advantage. You sort of think, could they not get a hold of more Canadians, even if they couldn't get any actual Americans? Look, we'll give you five minutes. If you ain't there, we'll come looking for you, okay?
1: He was the only one. They could have got hold of Matt Zimmerman, but everybody knew that he was Alan Tracy, so nobody wanted to bother. David Graham did quite well, but then again, he spent eighteen months being Gordon Tracy and brains. He had the accent down already, and he's very good at that
0: kind of thing. What'll it be, stranger? Um, no, nothing to drink, thanks. We uh, we just want to book three rooms. Three for the two of you? Uh, oh no, we got a friend joining us later. Oh, well, I'll have to ask you to sign the book here. Yeah, sure. Just your names and occupations. You've
1: got to love David Graham. It is actually the law. It Um, is. Yes.
0: And he's also a Dalek, which also makes him more lovable.
1: Well... Yes, but not at the same time.
0: Wyatt Earp was pretty good. Doc Holliday was pretty good. Uh, It's mainly the three Clanton brothers.
1: Billy was probably the
0: worst. Yeah, well, I was actually thinking, is it Ike? He's the confusingly named William Herdnell. Oh. He's a bit vacant behind the eyes, like he's turned up for a job interview. And he's found himself suddenly in the TV studio playing a cowboy on Doctor Who and he doesn't know what he's doing there. And he's really scared. (laughs) You can sort of see the fear behind his eyes. As he's playing this kind of swaggering thug. But he looks really afraid. (laughs) It's like, what am I doing here? I'm not American. How about that? They want to be alone. You'll sing here, now and past. How about why? On account of we are all music lovers. (laughs) And I think this is why... Shane Rimmer comes off so well like because I think his acting is also the best out of the yes. central cast just because he doesn't have that extra thing to do. He doesn't oh. have the extra hurdle so all the other cast members are doing two jobs at once. They're doing an accent and they're acting where he can just concentrate on the acting really. Yes, he can. I don't know how accurate his American accent is but to our British ears, it sounds fine.
1: It certainly sounds better than, than the alternatives. I have seen a lot of Westerns in my time it, to me, it wasn't it wasn't the May West, but I think that's only because I've seen so many westerns. And right. like, seriously, don't even don't even ask me to count because I don't, I can't, <laughs> I don't know. the 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 accent wasn't right for me, but it was certainly it was certainly one hundred percent better than any other accent that we heard.
0: Right? Yes, they were distracting. They were distracting. Bad.
1: They they it were. And, you out of it when I, it it did and we know how low my my suspension of disbelief is but the accidents were bad enough to take me out of it completely um which which is I think is really saying something Truddy, buddy.
0: <laughs> you will usually look past anything
1: yeah so that kind of shows you I think
0: so the other aspect of this story which often rubs people up the wrong way is uh, nurse Gladys Emanuel, Linda Baron uh singing at us throughout constantly
1: oh god just don't, like don't some kind talk. of
0: Greek chorus.
1: When there's blood upon the sawdust in the last chance yes, saloon. Please, God, don't talk to me about that.
0: <laughs> it actually didn't bother me for the first couple of episodes, but by episode four, <laughs> it was really doing my head in.
1: It was uh, I, 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 <laughs> I disliked it so much that. I think my before my 10th note um you might need to edit this a little bit <laughs> but I, <laughs> the note I wrote was the continual song is really starting to piss me off uh, <laughs> uh by the, by the time we got to episode 4 just no, I'd I'd had enough.
0: I, I can see what they were going for. Oh
1: yeah, no the last the last note I made at the end of episode four was this freaking song is going to be the death of me.
0: <laughs> well, on behalf of Oxford, I would like to apologise. Uh, Tristan Thank Carey, you. in his day, he was a, a He was one of the pioneers of British electronic music and music concrete. Oh, mm, i like him. And he's from Oxford, but he also a lot of music for doctor who including the gunfighter so unfortunately he is the one responsible for this thing <laughs> i am
1: just saying to I you, yeah, you right here right now no yeah. man named tristan has got any place attempting to write anything that's western <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes you. quite possibly yes so i think i personally think it starts off really well mm.
1: Yes, I thought it started off quite
0: well. I like the premise of the Doctor turning up with toothache. Yes, I like it. It doesn't make a huge amount of sense that he doesn't just get back in the TARDIS and try for somewhere else a bit more civilised, but we can suspend disbelief for that.
1: Yeah, that's that's fine, because otherwise the story wouldn't have happened. The The, thing, the toothache thing makes me... Uh, his his gen, general levels of grumpiness are <laughs> high, higher than normal. Back in the day, um when when my mother was uh, was was not dead <laughs> um i had a quite long-standing hyperfixation this this is the problem of of being related to or indeed knowing a person with ADHD <laughs> i only measure time <laughs> in terms of my hyperfixations so during the time i was obsessed with robert newton Oh yeah. There was a time the the family were sort of sat in the living room and having a massive, massive row. I don't even know what the row was about. And the reason I don't know what the row was about is because I was sat there making making faces and um,
0: going "Yarr, Jim, lad." I I,
1: I actually was. Uh, my dad, dad Dad stopped the row to ask me what I was doing, and I went, "I'm just I'm practising my Robert Newton face. How does it look?" And they just made everybody laugh. Um, so. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I didn't have anything to row about at the time. There was nothing, no. nothing too weird going on for me. I was, I was more <laughs> interested in in getting my my voice right and my face right. Yeah. Anyway,
0: um, mm, getting your pig legs is, sorted out
1: the, it, oh, exactly. But anyway, there is an episode of a TV series called Long John Silver, which was made in Australia. It it was it was filmed not too long before Robert Newton died and showed after he was dead, and an episode of that is and I am there is a point I am getting to it um is it's called The Tale of the Tooth and Long John Silver gets toothache he is very 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 unhappy about, about this whole thing <laughs> and um he has a line that whenever Mum was down she would always just even even when I didn't live with her anymore she would call me and she'd say Heath can you just do your can you just do your Robert Newton for me please? Oh. <laughs> and, and I would and she'd always giggle and it'd make her feel better. And the line was, Jim, <clears throat> the fires of hell beyond me. The pain be so bad, I can feel it in the toes of the leg that I haven't got. <laughs> I know, it's <he's> great. So, <laughs> very good. so so the doctor sort of clutching his face in agony, all I could think of. Uh the pain is just so bad he can feel it in the toes of the leg that he hasn't got. <laughs> Uh, and I think that I think that is actually a really really good uh, descriptor of pain. You know when they you know when mm. like you're in hospital and stuff, and they say to you, "Can you can you describe your pain on a level of one to 10? One to ten is pointless. Mm. It doesn't make any sense unless you can say the pain is so bad I can feel it in the toes of the leg that I haven't got.
0: I think so. I think that's an, you should use that next time. I did. Oh, you, did you say that?
1: I actually did.
0: Uh, do they look confused since you have yes, both they did. legs?
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> peter purvis and the new lady dodo because it's a new lady from from last time we did a Doctor Who yeah episode.
0: no longer the secret scouser
1: no longer the secret scouser I we don't haven't had she, a
0: secret scouser for a little bit
1: we haven't we haven't we've only had no. me and I, I know i'm not enough
0: you're not that I, secret
1: i'm not i'm not that secret <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm far too patriotic she is so excited She's so excited. She Yahoo's all over the place. Peter Purvis is also equally excited about being in Tombstone at the OK Corral. He knows what that means. He knows there's going to be a gunfight. They they find some clothes that make them look flipping ridiculous and the Doctor's (laughs) morbidly embarrassed of them.
0: (laughs) As you would be. They should
1: be be ashamed of themselves. They should. Um, but they were too busy being excited, so they weren't embarrassed about anything. And um, then Wyatt Earp just sort of walks in on them as uh, Peter Purvis is demonstrating his gun-slinging skills, or lack thereof. She really gets fangirl. Well, I, I
0: don't know who you are and what's right you have. Sort of, of tombstone's my right, and Wyatt Earp's my name. Wyatt Earp! Oh, something wrong, ma'am. Oh, no, it's just that...
1: Well, I always wanted to meet you, and here we are, face to face. Well, a lot were do more mysterious ways, ma'am. <laughs> Which I really appreciated, because I have a feeling that if I ended up in Tombstone at the OK Corral, just before the gunfire happened, I would probably be on the fangirly side too. I
0: think you would, wouldn't you?
1: A little
0: bit. Well, I think this is interesting in that it's certainly off the top of my head, it's the only... Instance I can think of, or one of the very few instances in classic Doctor Who, at least, in which there is time tourism, that you get the characters turning up and going, "Oh my God, I can't believe where I am! Quick, let's let's treat it like Disneyland." And they really do. Yeah, and I enjoy how reality kicks in for them as soon as Wyatt turns up and they sort of realise how ridiculous they being. They've been how ridiculous they are being and how ridiculous they look. I was just practising my quick draw. Uh. Oh, do be careful, dear boy. And remember, that belongs to my favourite collection. Now, see here, stranger. I reckon you don't know who I is. Jedi Steve, the fastest, meanest gun in the West. I think you're smashing. Yes. Yeah, they are treating it like uh, Disneyland, which is odd considering they've been in the TARDIS a fair bit and have already been exposed to lots of dangers on their travels, but... No, they're really excited and they think this is going to be jolly japes and everyone's going to be super fun and cheesy and silly i think however the the, the trouble is the story is doing two different things at the same time because on one hand it's doing that and it's got these two silly people who would in their (laughs) Stephen in his silk shirt with all the stars stuck to it or whatever they are and god love him and then the gritty reality of the real wild west comes crashing in and oh it's so grim and gritty and violent but then on the other hand there is actually a very silly tv version of the wild west and it's not it, it's not really realistic at all so it's kind of cancelling itself out a little bit
1: yeah i totally get what you mean
0: but i like it on i like it on principle certainly that scene is really nice yes it is yeah so in this we meet dodo yes who i think certainly in the days pre videos when you couldn't see Doctor Who very readily she was probably the most obscure Doctor Who companion I think hmm. because there was after Susan or there seemed to be after Susan this long run of Susan clones these kind of slightly tomboyish teenage girls yes replacing her so you got Vicky and then you got Dodo and they all seem to be trying to be Susan except Susan wasn't really like them because Dodo and Vicky are a lot more Jolly and cheerful and fun and having a great time, whereas poor old Susan got saddled with screaming and falling over and going "Oh, grandfather!" and she being was hysterical.
1: he wasn't she? I'm, am I'm, I'm not an expert. I've only seen like the first two stories, so. Uh, I mean, grandfather. Um, you know, she she was also not only not only saddled with her grandfather going on adventures across the galaxy, but also two of the teachers. I mean, like, not <laughs> that,
0: really, yeah, oh, that's going cramping your style. Everywhere. No. you can't get you, you wouldn't be able to get a date would you
1: never
0: your grandfather and two of your teachers are, oh, oh my god especially when he spits on his handkerchief and wipes your face it's like get off I'm 23 years old <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I thought I thought Dodo was really fun actually I,
1: um, I wasn't keen on her at first because she was a little bit too Yahoo-y and screeching <laughs> I I did write Stop Yahooing Woman FFS, but uh, no, she grew on me, not like mould. I
0: think she's quite cute, like a little animal or something. As someone who grew up with 80s Doctor Who, I tend to go more for the enthusiastic uh, companions rather than the complainy ones. Ah, yes, I can imagine So there was a bit of a run in the 80s of companions who just didn't want to be there and just griped bitterly the whole time, and Mm. it gets to be a bit of a drag. And Imagine. it's really nice seeing companions who are doing the time travelling and are just really getting a lot out of it.
1: Yes, yes, I, I liked I liked that about her. I I think because of my weird viewership of Doctor Who, like I had, I'd seen the first two stories with Susan and I was comfortable with her. Yes. and then we watched the Time Meddler, and it was Secret Scouser whose name I've forgotten.
0: Uh, Vicky Maureen Vicky, O'Brien.
1: I liked her obviously because you know. Fellow compatriot, and then I tuned it, and there was a, it was another girl again. I mean, I mean, I mean, really, <laughs> calm down, Doctor. Stop going through with them like a dose of salts. Honestly,
0: they had the first year, year and a half, two years—I'm not exactly sure what. It—it it was the original Tardis crew, so it was the Doctor, Ian, and Barbara, and Susan, and it was a fairly static, fixed lineup. Mm. But then after they left it all got a bit fluid and it wasn't until you get into Patrick Troughton that then you standardised the companions again and it was Jamie and Vicky or Jamie and Zoe and that's more or less it, but... In the second half of William Hartnell, there was lots of comings and goings and people just leaving mid-story and you wouldn't see them again or you're sort of disappearing and people not getting a, not getting a proper leaving scene. They just leave off camera and it was all a bit unsatisfying. Yes,
1: it was very confusing.
0: There's a lot of individual stories I like in the second half of William Hartnell, but I think it ended up being slightly rudderless in terms of the characters in it. So the original set of characters, you had the two aliens and then the two viewer surrogates that you'd see everything through their eyes and they'd be the identification characters but once they'd gone and once susan had gone it all became a bit adrift and they didn't really quite know what to do with any of the companions properly much as they're all good on an individual basis and i really like dodo and i really like Stephen, they were not really well served and it's just like oh we got these two people in the tardis now what we just have to do stuff with them and when we border them, we'll throw them in the bin and get someone else and that kind of thing. But yeah, I think Stephen and Dodo have really fun chemistry. They obviously get along well and yeah, they play off each other really well.
1: Like obviously later on when Dodo gets kidnapped by Doc Holiday and Keith. Stephen is particularly worried about her. The Doctor's just more interested in finding Doc Holliday because he is now... Best friends, best friends with the doctor, two doctors together. The doctor really doesn't seem too concerned with anybody else. I find quite refreshing, you know, because normally if you've got a if you've got a character in charge, they're all noble and oh mm. I would do anything to protect my trusty sidekicks, even sacrifice myself. And the doctor's just a, a bit like Oh
0: I've got some. They're teeth. missing a,
1: they're missing, are they? Oh. Oh
0: well. <laughs> what I'm, about my face? I'm
1: sure they'll turn up when they're hungry anyway.
0: <laughs> exactly. it's just i do like how human this version of the doctor is yes and i I don't i don't want to rail against the new series too much because there's a lot of it which is really good but the whole lonely god thing that they went in for particularly in the stephen moffat run really rubs me up the wrong way it's so self-pitying and self-mythologizing and self-reverential
1: yes Just like kind
0: of monologue. Yeah, about how great he is. I'm the most intelligent person in the room. You will fear me. I am great. But I am also very lonely and tortured. Have I told you how lonely and tortured I am? By the way, I'm lonely, but also great.
1: Please be my friend, but I need nobody.
0: Yeah. I am a god. You will fear me. By the way, here's a pop culture reference. Woo. And yeah, it just drives me a bit bonkers. I don't like it at all. So I do like, I mean, to me... The doctor at his best is, to use a uh, Western reference, he's Shane, riding into town, he sorts out people's problems, and then he rides off again and everyone says, who was that mysterious stranger? Basically the littlest hobo with the time machine.
1: Every step I make, I make <clears> a friends. <throat> Yet this boys turn around, I'm So if you want to join me for a while,
0: in, in the classic series, the original series, it was almost never about the Doctor, and I think it loses a lot when it becomes about the Doctor.
1: Yeah, he kind of is just there. He, he just yeah. He, the, the fact that there's a kind of story going on around him, and he's just like, oh, oh, well, I wasn't expecting any of this. This, this, this is all <laughs> this is a little bit out of my remit. But I would like to point out that I do have a sword to worry about
0: fighting. Exactly. As a character, he's a lot like Sherlock Holmes, that you enjoy Sherlock Holmes and you enjoy the fact you don't really know much about him and it would cheapen him to know about his childhood and it would cheapen him to know a lot of his background. He's, he is an interesting presence that you put into a story and let him sort it out. And you don't want to see him, you, know, you don't see lots of flashbacks to him crying about stuff, Oh God! about his family life. It just robs them of a lot of the mystery and the interest, I think. Speaking of um, pop culture references, this has to be a very, very early pop culture reference in terms of, of pop culture references appearing in Doctor Who, where the Doctor says that his name is Dr. Caligari. Despite my jibe earlier, I have nothing against the Doctor making pop culture references, really. We also have uh, an early Doctor Who joke as well.
1: Yes. Doctor Who. This?
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yes.
1: I liked that. I did like
0: mm.
1: that. Um, i tell you what else I really, really loved through the whole story. Is, despite the fact, Wyatt uh, is a really, uh, I, would, I would say, a, a prolific character in Wild West history.
0: Yes, I know exactly what you're going to say, but yes, to go on.
1: The Doctor does insist on calling him Mr. Work.
0: That's brilliant. To say. I love that so much.
1: <laughs> Mr. <I do>. Work. <laughs> And always with a very straight face, a utter sincerity. Yeah. I kind of felt a little let down that like occasionally he didn't he didn't sneak in a T at the beginning of that and call him Mister Twerp. But <laughs> I probably would have cheapened it and only made me giggle. I think
0: he, I think he genuinely thinks his name is Mister Werp. Mister
1: Werp. <laughs> <laughs> I love. I did love that. I thought that was so sweet. I mean, I did giggle every time he said it. Especially when he was angrily
0: saying it. Mr. Work. Like,
1: Mr. Worp, do you, think, do you think this is at all
0: appropriate? <laughs> William Hartnell is absolutely having the time of his life. I think he's script-wise he grand-ton. was a difficult man to please, but he's clearly loving this one. Oh, yes. I should mention the uh, director of this is Rex Tucker. This is his only Doctor Who.
1: Now that's a good Western name. Yeah,
0: isn't it? It is. Howdy, I'm Rex Tucker. Yeah,
1: that's probably how he strolled onto set every day.
0: He's notable as being the father of Jane Tucker from Rod, Jane and Freddy. Jane? Yeah, this is Jane's dad directed this.
1: Wow. I had no idea that Jane's dad was a Western icon.
0: (laughs) You could say that. (laughs) I think he did a really good job, actually. I think there's particularly visually there's some really nice shots. When they're in the dentist and the doctor's being questioned by Shane Rimmer and there's a shot through from the back office into the main dentist area as Doc Holiday and Kate are watching. And that's a really nice shot. There's a bit where it pans up from the shadows of the prison bars on the wooden floor. So it, it's not just a straightforward throw everyone onto the set, point the cameras at them and shout go. He has actually taken some time to line up some nice shots and make it look quite pretty.
1: There are certainly some moments. A lot, A lot of it does feel a little bit like you're watching a bad pantomime.
0: Oh, yeah, I mean, I think we are watching a bad pantomime. <sighs> I, so. I wrote at this point, one of my notes is, the song doesn't bother me greatly. <laughs> this is episode two. Uh, by episode four, I, I will have retracted this comment.
1: Oh, you you do need to edit this out. But my last note on episode one was, oh, great, we haven't heard the ballad of the last chance Saloon enough yet, so Stephen has to do his own rendition. <laughs> at least this version is a bit more jaunty. Halfway through episode two, my note is, and um, seriously do pardon my French, this fucking song, holy shit, make it stop.
0: <laughs> I wish I could keep that in.
1: I mean, you can't keep it in if you like,
0: it's up to you I quite enjoy it when Stephen is being forced by the Clanton gang To do the Ballad of the Last Chance Saloon Particularly later when we rejoin him And they're just making him do it over and over again And he's singing it through gritted teeth He's gone from being quite scared of them Just to being quite cross and grumpy <laughs> Yes, he does With rings on their fingers and bells on lock bells, please Come on, sing I've sung this song four sing times already sing I'll it again one song, one and song gone, it's mainly the song. Yeah, if they'd taken the song out, it would be a lot more. Yes. Just, yes. Had a, just had a, just half just half it, half just had it, just halve it. Just had it half, half as, as many times. Yeah. Please, haven't, haven't we suffered enough? I know. It's just It's some kind of karmic thing. Have we done something wrong in a past life? But we won't hold it against Nurse Gladys personally. Oh, it's
1: nothing to do with poor Nurse Gladys Emanuel. She probably wasn't up for it either. By the time she got to episode four, she was probably as annoyed about it as we
0: were. Yeah, she was singing it through gritted teeth as well. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, a bit I, I really enjoyed when the doctor's in the county jail mm. and Stephen passes him the gun through the window. This doctor starts twirling the gun and uh, Wyatt Earp catches him and the doctor says, Mr. Werp, can you do that? <laughs>
1: So cute. And Mr. Web says, uh, "No, and you'd better not try either." <laughs> the doctor, God love him, looks so put out and goes, "I've no intention of trying anything, but people do keep giving me guns, and I do wish they wouldn't." <laughs> Ten minutes, <laughs> <laughs> Mr.
0: Web. Oh, uh, Mr. Web. I say, can you do that? No. <laughs> And I wouldn't try it if I were you. I have no intention of trying anything. Only people keep giving me guns and I do wish they wouldn't. I mean, despite all the things we've said about this episode, and I think it is largely the song which drags it down, like you say, I do miss when Doctor Who could just try anything. And that isn't even really a dig at modern Doctor Who, although it is. But also (laughs) by the Patrick Troughton era there was only a couple of examples of, of Doctor Who trying something really radical and strange and unusual. They they slotted much more into the Doctor Who formula. This is what Doctor Who is. It's some monsters. It's some characters. The characters will kill the monsters. The monsters will kill the characters. The Doctor will sort everything out and everyone goes home. It's quite nice just to have that sort of culture where... What should we try this week let's try a comedy western yeah and there's no monsters it's there'll be no siege the, the daleks won't turn up yeah it's something unlike anything else that doctor who has done and i yeah i do miss that i it's a time machine that also travels through space so there's so much potential in just the time machine aspect of it it doesn't need the aliens and the monsters all the time because there's so much fun you can have in history yes and i think The trouble is that the historicals kind of got a bad reputation because they existed in the William Hartnell era or particularly in the early William Hartnell era when Doctor Who was a lot more preachy and a lot more educational based or slanted. So they could be quite dry and quite theatrical and stagey. Yes. And not always a tremendous amount of fun. So I think that sort of ruined historicals in a way. But actually just the idea of time tourism and going to these places in history and not having to have space aliens as well it's a really kind of it's a missed opportunity you could have a lot of fun with that and it doesn't need to be let's learn about the french revolution it doesn't need to be that it can be it could be anything it could be anything at all It, it is nice to see the juxtaposition of a cyberman in victorian london or whatever but it doesn't need to be that every time and no, I, think I think it makes it more wants, special.
1: Yeah, I think maybe once the, the Cybermen in Victorian London and I did I did really like I did really like that episode when they just randomly turned up and uh, David Tennant went, You got your legs on mute or something. Just, <laughs> <laughs> genuinely made me belly laugh.
0: I'll give New Doctor Who this the jokes are better. The jokes are better. But also the jokes are so good it often translates into smugness, I can tend to find. <laughs> It can get a bit Joss Whedon. A little while before this, the third ever Dalek Adventure, The Chase, which is uh, supposedly a comedy as well. It was that 60s thing of it's a comedy by dint of no one's taking it seriously. So there's no jokes in it and it's not really funny, but no one's taking it seriously. So therefore it's a comedy. And I find that quite trying. Whereas modern Doctor Who, they are actually good at writing jokes and there are many one-liners in it that do... Raise an actual laugh, yes, not just a "huh." There's a Dalek, but he's going, "Uh, uh um, oh, I'm a silly Dalek." There's none of that, but yes, that it's so glib at times. <laughs> like, oh, dial it back a bit, will you?
1: <laughs> yeah, my note. Oh yikes! The baddies are fixing to hang Stephen. Doc is very annoyed that they're using his dentist chair. He kills Scott. W-T-A-F! Why did you make me watch this, Adam? Ninety-eight billion question marks. <laughs> what? How dare you? Why did you? Why did you do that to me? Why? Why?
0: But don't worry, because in episode three we get to meet Johnny Ringo.
1: Yeah, and he kills Gordon. <laughs> he does.
0: It's Thunderbirds Apocalypse.
1: Yeah, watch this, Heather. You'll re- You'll. You'll really enjoy it. It's got it's got somebody from Thunderbirds in it. Yeah, okay, it's got my two favourite actors from Thunderbirds in it and they both get killed. Thanks. You're the worst. Grumble, grumble.
0: I mean, we're not really describing the plot for this because there isn't really there isn't one. There's lots really lots one. of to and fro It's
1: basically, they are working up to the gunfight at the OK Corral. They have got people who weren't anywhere near the OK Corral when the actual fight went down. Phineas Clanton was somewhere else. Johnny Ringo was somewhere else. Seth Harper didn't even exist.
0: There were multiple people who were at the OK Corral, the Tombstone who aren't even mentioned in this and don't appear at all.
1: Exactly. What? Warrener, he was nowhere to be seen. He didn't die until 1882. It's an awful lot of people who should have been there who weren't there and who were (laughs) there that shouldn't have been there. And and this, this is where I am. I'm starting to get a little bit worried, and and my my sentiments are with the doctor, who say who says, what on earth is Mister Work doing?
0: <laughs> Another note about the accuracy of it is quite how elderly the characters are. Yes, because I I mean I'm not a Western expert like you are, but I did some Wikipediaing and. Um, Doc Holliday in real life was 30 and not a little old middle-aged guy like he is in this. Johnny Ringo, who in this is portrayed as about, well, the actors are 45-ish. He was 30, so most of them were actually quite young guys.
1: Nobody really lived very, very, very long lives if they chose a particular profession in the West. However, Kate, who is real, um, her surname wasn't Fisher, um, but her nickname was Big Nose Kate.
0: (laughs) Oh, no, poor Kate.
1: Uh, she didn't have a big nose. She was just very nosy.
0: Oh, right, OK. Her poor little head quivering under the weight it of it. Her quiver- poor little head quivering under the weight of this. Just your opinion. Fans will pick on her nose. You <laughs> pick on your
1: own. She lived until six days... Before her 91st birthday, she died in
0: 1940.
1: Wow. That was pretty good going.
0: And Mr. Werp lived until the 20s, didn't he?
1: They did quite well for themselves. The the rest of the lads,
0: not so much. Most of them got a good old shooting at some point or another. They did. Despite the reputation of the gunfight at the OK Corral, there was only actually three fatalities, two of which are not characters who appear in this story. (laughs) It's only Billy Clanton out of the actual protagonist of the story. Who died at the OK Corral.
1: That's true, that's true. Doc Holliday got a bit of an injury, which didn't happen in the show.
0: They didn't wipe out the whole Clanton clan. No, they didn't. And wasn't the main protagonist in it Morgan Earp? Rather yes. than Wyatt Earp, and he doesn't appear? Yes, that's true. I must say, actually, when I read the novelisation of it, which was probably in the early 90s, maybe late 80s, as far as I remember, it, it read really well, and I did have a brief interest in the period and the characters. I think realizing that these familiar names were actually real people and weren't just something from fiction, like Long John Silver or that kind of thing. Yeah, they weren't from literature; they were actual real people, like Butch and Sundance, and most of the West. Yeah, you know, a lot of these Western characters we know by name: mm. Jesse James, Billy the Kid, all real people. So yeah, I got a brief fascination back then and did watch a lot of stuff and read about them. Can't remember any of it now, but the book at least gave me an interest, so it has that going for it. There's a bizarre moment. There's a lynching about to happen here, Yes. and then Phineas Clanton gets a little bop on the head and a woman in the crowd lets out the most blood-curdling scream for no apparent reason. Wow. (laughs) There's a moment where David Graham... Breaks the fourth wall and looks directly into camera, says his next extraction's gonna be a bullet, which I quite like.
1: I like that. I like that. And
0: it goes all flea bag.
1: Aw. You gotta love David Graham. And honestly, if you don't, you're wrong. I mean, the man's a legend. There is a line, I don't know who says it, but they say Ringo rides alone. Which made me laugh for very obvious reasons. There is also an early John Wayne film called Randy Rides Alone, which is even funnier. <laughs> Poor old Randy. That's probably why he rides alone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the Clansons decide to hire Johnny Wingo to help them.
0: Not really got they not a do. choice. And things start to get really dark when Johnny Ringo turns up. Yes,
1: he's not very nice. And I think
0: this is the point at which I stopped enjoying it so much. It stops being so much fun. Yes. I mean, there's something to be said for something getting gradually darker and more dangerous feeling. And it's quite a nice slide from what starts off as being a fairly jolly comedic romp and it gets more and more violent and unpleasant as it goes through. But it does stop being so much fun. And he's such a killjoy, that Johnny Ringo. He's A, a killjoy, and B, a charisma vacuum, really.
1: Yes, he is. He's not only a killjoy, he's a
0: kill David Graham. He's a kill Charlie.
1: How dare.
0: Yes, Ringo shoots Charlie.
1: He, he, he had no right to do that.
0: OK, calm down, Ringo.
1: <laughs> you want to stop walking to school and put his fists in your face? <laughs> this is what Johnny Ringo said just before, just before shooting him. He's just not fair. Charlie didn't do anything wrong. He was very hospitable, just tried to make pleasant, polite conversation. Ugh, what a swine.
0: Hey, Ringo, you're a swine. <laughs> Despite the fact that it starts to get a lot darker and less fun from this point on, I do really enjoy the scene where Dodo holds Doc Holiday up with a gun. Yes. That's a fun scene.
1: It is, especially because she, like, she gets all faint and then he pulls his other gun on her and she's like, ah! It's an actual gun. It's loaded and he knows how to... And uh, she goes into a bit of a swoon. I like like Dodo. Yeah, at this point she's grown on me. I mean, at first when she was all yahooing and prancing, when when the poor doctor had his toothache, I was like, listen, just shush. Shush and calm down. Poor man's got a toothache. But at, at this juncture... I I think she's all right. You promised. I promised to take you back safe home, and
0: I will do so in my own good time. We're leaving now. (laughs) What are you aiming to do with that very offensive weapon? Shoot you if I have to. (laughs) Now, how you reckon get back the tombstone without me?
1: I shall try not to kill you. I shall aim for your arm. That's real thoughtful. Just at the moment, you're aiming right between my
0: eyes. Oh, I'm sorry. that better? It's an improvement.
1: Right. Now take me back to Tombstone.
0: Well, seems like I ain't got no alternative.
1: No, Dr. Holliday. I don't believe you have.
0: Then I promise on my oath as a gentleman of Georgia that I will take you back to Tombstone by nightfall.
1: Oh, thank goodness for that. Would you mind getting me a glass of water? Yes, I feel may. rather faint.
0: The Doctor has made a deputy.
1: Oh, he's very happy about this.
0: My note is that he looks very sexy in his deputy badge, particularly when he's wearing his black hat, his oh, black, yeah. black Stetson. Oh. It's very fetching.
1: He does look very fetching. Warren does some acting, uh, and then he dies spectacularly.
0: There's so many side characters. There's, we don't... Oh, Warren, and then Pop... Park Clanton turns up. I don't
1: know what he was doing there. Was just, there was just no, there was no point in him being there.
0: It fills out the world and it makes it feel a bit more organic and populated. But it's also just a lot. You started to get you know, quite tired, a bit a worn out from all these characters.
1: And, and none of them should have been there. No. <laughs> the thing that properly took me out of it was that they decided they were going to have it at sunup when the actual gunfight was about three o'clock in the afternoon.
0: It took me until having known about the gunfight at the OK Corral, it took me until yesterday to actually Google what an earth the OK Corral is. Uh, it turns out it's a shop. It's a saddlery.
1: That's that's what those places are.
0: Yes, I didn't know that. I just it's just some mysterious name.
1: <laughs> yeah, sum up's a stupid time in Western times to have a
0: gunfight. You'd be all tired and groggy.
1: Tired and groggy? You won't have had enough bruise.
0: You'd not have slept from worrying about it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So three o'clock in the afternoon is a sensible time. Some people like high noon for their dates because they're working on time, which is a monkey's quote.
0: <laughs>
1: afternoon is just a better time to do anything in the morning,
0: frankly. But particularly getting shot. Yes. You've had your lunch.
1: You've had your lunch. <laughs> it's all very civilised. But there's like, yeah. you know, there's, there's stuff to be done in a morning time. You can
0: put your washing on, on a nice long spin.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Go out to do
0: your gunfight and then by the time you finish the gunfight, the washing's done, you can hang it up.
1: Exactly. I was just sat there with like my hand on my forehead, like, no, no, no. It didn't happen <laughs> just, then. It didn't you're happen. You're just then making at all. this up now, aren't you? <laughs> they don't know anything about this story, do they?
0: Donald Cotton is just making this up. He
1: just he doesn't care. Oh golly. When he's finally reunited with Stephen... Stephen's really excited and he shouts, Doctor! And the Doctor goes, No, Deputy Sheriff. Get, get it right, kid. I've been promoted since you last saw me. Uh, I really I really like that. It made, made me giggle.
0: Yeah, whenever William Hartnell's on screen, it's brilliant. I think so. Can't ask for more. It's just when oh, all these cowboys are doing their tedious stuff, they're going back going to that place, now they're going back to that place going back to that place now you go and talk to them or oh, I've talked to them, you talked to them or I'll go and talk to them then
1: oh, yeah. that, is, that is all that happens Just how about we everything. both go and
0: talk to them and we do every alternate word let's try that
1: <laughs> you see that would have been so great <laughs> ah, I would have loved that I would have loved that <laughs> it would have been great
0: wouldn't uh, it? I'm, sure, yeah. I'm sure it would have worked.
1: It, w- it would have worked an awful lot better.
0: Did you notice that Doc Holliday kept spanking Dodo on the bottom? Yes, I did. That was starting to make me uncomfortable. I didn't like that. No, I don't think That's Dodo harassment. liked it either. No, she didn't seem to.
1: You leave my bottom alone. It's personal.
0: <laughs> There's a big gunfight. Big gunfight. Fountains die. It all sort of peters out. It gets very violent at the end.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Phineas probably looks a bit baffled about being there in the first place, but it turns out that he gets shot dead too.
0: Yes, it's like, I'm not supposed to die here.
1: Even though What's he did die on? until 1906, it just took him a yeah. while. <laughs> uh, Dodo doesn't really want to go home because she's having a lovely time. Despite, you know, being in the middle the of a giant gunfight. Yeah, yeah, despite an she, awful lot of traumatic things happening to her, she's having a lovely time. She she's want to
0: go. witnessed several men killed in front of her, but yeah. she's having a riot. <laughs> <laughs> it's all being grateful this is another one of the issues with original classic series Doctor Who is the lack of emotional repercussions of the amount of death that happens
1: yeah I can I can see that
0: these just normal people these lassies that come from Earth and go off traveling with the doctor and they'll spend a hundred minutes. Watching people they've befriended recently die horribly in front of them and they'll just sort of step over their corpses and go, what now, Doctor?
1: Yes, now, now where are we going? <laughs> um, the, the thing that, the last thing that I noted um, re-dowed is that the Doctor tells her off, even though she's actually not done anything wrong. He, like, ushers her into the TARDIS. And again, prior to throwing away the Wanted ad, he slaps her on the bottom with the wanted ad. Oh,
0: does he? Oh, dear. As
1: she's getting into. Like, honestly, what is it with Dodo's bottom? We'll
0: never know.
1: What's the appeal? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but old men do seem to like it.
0: Yeah, maybe it had a sort of a, a, a powerful charisma in person.
1: Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Maybe uh had like its own gravitational pull. Anyway, <laughs> he ushers her into the TARDIS and he says it's before she can cause any more havoc when, frankly, The Doctor has been the cause of every single bit of havoc that has happened in this show. Dodo's done nothing. She has caused no havoc. She's just been there minding her own business and getting kidnapped and passively having all of these awful things happen around her. It was all him. He caused all of this. Why is he blaming the girl?
0: So, shall I tell you my basic issue with this particular Doctor Who adventure? Please do. It's not... The song. What? Although that is very annoying. Oh, it's... it's not the acting, although that is quite bad. Yes. But it occurred to me part way through episode four, it's that the actual story is incredibly inconsequential. Yeah. It's essentially about a group of thugs who decide to shoot at each other. And that's really it. It's just some local hoo-ha, really. Between a couple of groups of people who have a bit of a beef with each other. For some reason, and you know about this sort of thing better than I do, for some reason this relatively minor bit of hoo-ha, mm. albeit it does end in three fatalities, but that's, you know, in historical terms, that's that's relatively minor and it's, you know, it's hardly a global crisis or anything. But it somehow has been imprinted on history. Doctor Who has to visit it. But it, it's a very small story. There's almost no... There's almost no stakes to it other than the main characters being in peril at times. Yeah. But yeah. A, other than that, there's nothing riding on it at all.
1: It's, it's a very very innocuous sort of a point in time to to arrive at because there was there were so many other battles and and things in, in that sort of time period, whether it was during the war or, you know, in, in fighting amongst gangs at the time, there were so many more High profile, like you say, it does seem a little, a little incongruous.
0: But for some reason, this particular moment in time has been, it's been, and whether this just comes from the the film, the gunfight at the OK Corral, but we've decided that this group of thugs bickering is worth remembering for centuries later.
1: I think it might. It was like a pivotal, pivotal battle in terms of what happened with the Earps before and after that. The Earps as sort of a, a unit because they they were all they were all sort of lawmen. It was quite quite important to the state of Arizona, but in terms of affecting the entire the entire history of of America, it's a very minor kind of a moment it really is it was a 30 second gunfight like it didn't even last as long as it did on the show
0: essentially the gunfight at the okay corral is just names it's just people's names we've heard of Wyatt Earp and we've potentially heard of the Clantons and we've probably heard of Doc Holliday but beyond that it's just like oh it's just some people doing some stuff <laughs> really. so this was my problem with it but I did enjoy it I enjoyed the first two episodes
1: I I really enjoyed it up until the moment Shane Rimmer got killed.
0: Yeah, which is the first two episodes.
1: Um, then I was prepared to go with it, and then David Graham got killed. Mm. And then I was <laughs> very annoyed at you. <laughs> <laughs> For the rest of the story. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then everybody started getting things wrong about the time period they were in, and who should have been there, and who shouldn't have been there, mm. and that like, goddamn song.
0: And then a clown rode past on a unicycle. Oh, and then, then there was Abraham no. Lincoln walking past. Oh. So a bit of contemporary context to this story. Mm. Uh, episode four, the one we've just been talking about, yeah. had a 30% audience appreciation score, which is the lowest appreciation score for any single episode in Doctor Who's history ever.
1: Wow. Understandable, though. <laughs>
0: So, as an overall story, Mm. it didn't receive the worst rating ever amongst the audience, or even the worst rating in that season, particularly. But uh, on an individual basis, Episode 4 was absolutely disliked. And I personally don't think it's anywhere close to being the worst episode of Doctor Who ever. It's certainly not as bad as Episode 3 of The Chase, I'll say that much. Okay, I will believe you. But it's still not very, it's not brilliant. It's a bit dull. But I think that's possibly had a lot to do with its reputation as being the worst Doctor Who story ever was the fact that one of the episodes received the lowest audience appreciation score. But actually, I think my personal theory as to why before people had really seen it or experienced it properly, why it had this conventional wisdom reputation of being the worst Doctor Who ever is simply the fact that Westerns were at such a low ebb culturally, in the 80s and 90s, that it's Doctor Who doing a Western, and it's a comedy Western. How could it not be the worst Doctor Who ever? In the same way that the Celestial Toymaker, which is about a sinister alien who gets people to do deadly board games and puzzles and it has it's very surreal it has Billy Bunter in it and it has characters from Alice in Wonderland and that kind of thing so it's very surreal and strange so that it's it's a it's surely a classic I I think this is similarly why this particular one was thought of so badly yeah it's a western it's gonna be bad
1: I really don't understand the whole huh westerns equal bad because they don't they
0: don't at all certainly i think they were at their lowest ebb in the 80s and 90s in this country at least don't,
1: there were some bad westerns made in the 80s and 90s but, we don't really
0: <laughs> talk about them. but i think also we just rejected it because the, and i think it's something that's largely forgotten now not by you clearly no. but by a lot of people is how fixated the 60s were in this country and in america on westerns yeah
1: they were huge huge yeah from like the the 30s then they start they started to going down like in the late 60s early 70s like I won't I don't usually watch western made after around about 1966 because they really started going downhill but you could you could release anything as a western and it would be massive i mean the, the fact that it's a western is not the problem here no there are plenty of problems before we get to the genre <laughs>
0: I think possibly trying to do a Western in a small TV studio in England. isn't the best idea, but then it's set in a small town. So it's not, also not the worst idea. They they could have tried, tried to do like an epic horse opera and they didn't. So that's, that's a credit to them, I think. Yeah. There were no horses no seen horses. at all, I don't think. I think we've probably answered most of the regular questions. Possibly, yes. We will certainly be watching something very different next time. Right. But I did want okay. to cover this one for those reasons said earlier.
1: Yes. And I'm, I'm glad that I've seen it. You know, I don't regret watching it. I regret the song very much.
0: <laughs> yes, I was to say, we probably know what your favourite and least favourite elements are.
1: Definitely the song, least favourite. Yes. And, you know, my Thunderbirds Men dying. You
0: got to see your Thunderbird Men.
1: I got to see my Thunderbirds In the men. first two episodes, yeah. I did. And that was lovely. It's always a joy.
0: They even had a scene together.
1: They did have a scene together. My little Thunderbirds loving heart.
0: I wonder if they were tempted to do the arms in the manner of Pete and Dad. It was a little reunion.
1: Yeah, a little bit. They would yeah. have
0: had a little hug.
1: They will have done it. would have been adorable. Aww. <laughs> I love them so
0: much. Aww.
1: I know. I know. Bless them. <laughs> So thank you very, very much for introducing me to the glorious world of and
0: for <laughs> and, and I apologise profusely.
1: <laughs> yes, good. So you damn well should do. Uh <laughs> and for gifting me with another lovely story from Doctor Who. Uh, we all know how much I love William Hartnell, called the man's genius. Thank you also everybody for listening. It's very, very nice to be back and recording together again. If you would like to get in touch with us at any point, you are more than welcome to. We love hearing from you. Uh, Our Twitter account is at retro underscore tube, or our email address is retrotubepodcast at gmail.com. We are always happy to hear from you, and we are dead good at getting back to you. So, you know, give it a whirl. Get in touch. Um, Next week is my go, and I I think I have finally settled upon something.
0: Oh, I don't know what it's going to be. It's going to be a clue for me as well as the listener. Do
1: you uh, have a clue? I have (laughs) a clue. And it is... Get your trousers on your knit.
0: I do know what it is. You do know what it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, after after that lovely time we've had in arizona uh, i would just like to say to tough and out to everybody ta-ta. um uh, would, would you like to have the last word
0: adam no i wouldn't i haven't thought of anything
1: oh. <laughs> i just had
0: a, a moment of rising panic oh no
1: golly I i've think got to the last word <laughs>
0: <laughs> bye <laughs> what an anti <anti-climate. laughs> This is Adam S. Leslie, co-host of this very podcast. My folk horror novel, Lost in the Garden, is now out and available in all good bookshops, including Blackwell's and Waterstones. Don't talk to strangers, don't play on the farm, and don't go to Almonby. Heather's on-off boyfriend Stephen has gone to the mysterious village of Almonby. He went for two weeks, and no one has seen him in six months. The only trace of him which remains is his voice, distantly calling for help, drifting across the fizz of shortwave radio. With a couple of friends in tow, Heather sets off through a warped, distended version of the English countryside, baking in perpetual summer, to track Stephen down, and to find out for herself why everyone says, don't go to Almondby. Author Eric LaRocca called Lost in the Garden, eerily enchanting and profoundly inventive, a dreamy and unsettling masterwork. This is one of the freshest and most spiritually rewarding novels I've read in quite some time. And author Matt Wozolowski described it as like trying to recall a troubling and beautiful dream. It's like peering through a wound in the world, sorrowful and uncanny and utterly stunning. This book is magnificent, like nothing I've ever read before. Thank you, Matt and Eric. Lost in the Garden by Adam S. Leslie, published by Dead Books, priced at 10 dollars 99 Look for the pink and white cover.